John chapter 6. I want to recap uh, the first part of the chapter, but I want to move on to there, uh, from there, and I've entitled the service, uh, the sermon this morning, Jesus came not to give bread, which is what the first part of the chapter is about, but to be bread. And I must admit, 12 months ago, I was glad when time ran out and I didn't have to continue on into the chapter after I spoke about the first part of the chapter. Because this teaching of the Lord about him being the bread is quite heavy. But I trust uh, that you will gain as I have gained from this passage uh, this week. So just for recap, John chapter 1 and starting at verse 1. And I want us to consider the awesome power of Jesus and his his, uh, reaching out to the people who had a need. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the fast shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And that, by the way, is very significant in view of this passage on Jesus being the bread of life. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then continues the conversation with the disciples. And I guess many of us here this morning, or all of us here, would know the rest of the story, how Jesus took five loaves and two fish a boy's lunch and he prayed and blessed the food and that food was given out to supply the 5,000 men but in Matthew it says there were women and children besides. So maybe there was 15 to 20,000 people there. I'm not quite sure on that. But here's this great miracle of Jesus giving bread and that was quite a dangerous thing to do because at this particular time as I mentioned before the Passover there was great anticipation of the prophet who would come and in the minds of many of the people they were looking for a deliverer a deliverer not to save them from their sin but a deliverer to save them from the cruel Roman uh, Empire that dominated them. So there's a lot of nationalistic uh, feeling in this, feeling at the time. Verse 12, When the crowd had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciple, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them 
and filled 12 baskets, those are large baskets by the way, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And here's the danger point. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and take him by force, to make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's just pray at this point once again. Lord, we pray that we will see this morning what it means to be what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life, the bread and blood that gives eternal life. Lord, guide me in my preaching of your word and guide each of us as we've already uh, brought before our attention to take this word and to examine it and to make it part of our own lives also. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, following the speeding of the 5,000 or 5,000 plus is a very interesting interlude. Jesus walking on the water. Now, already we've read that Jesus supplied 12 basketfuls full of food left over from this great feast for the disciples and I believe that speaks to us of the individual provision that God has for each of us as his people. Twelve disciples, even though one of them was not a true follower of Jesus, but the Lord Jesus, even after feeding the huge crowd of people, provided for his very own close disciples with what was left over. Another incident related to this, verse 16. When evening came, the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set up across the lake for Capernaum. That's where they'd come from originally. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed five or six kilometres, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. We hardly need to read it, do we? And they were terrified because they thought it was a ghost. There's the storm, there's the frustration of rowing against the, the wind and the waves. There is exhaustion, perhaps there's even bewilderment and it's night and they were terrified. But Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. 
And I see two miracles in this particular occasion. First of all, here's the twelve disciples in a boat that's about eight, nine metres long, two to three metres wide, and they're rowing. They're exhausted. By the way, a boat that was found uh, from that age in history uh, had four rowing positions on the boat, so they must have been sharing, I guess, the job of rowing, and they weren't getting anywhere. But Jesus came and met their needs where they were at that particular time. So that's the first miracle, the miracle that Jesus came on the water and he got into the boat with them and immediately they reached the place where they were headed. And so I see in that comment a second part of the miracle. They're working hard and then they get to that place where they were headed. And again it points out the the fact that Jesus is there for us in the storms of life. And I don't know what you're facing uh, right at this time. There's been a bereavement in this past week. There's others, others of you that I've heard through various sources who are suffering in illness. But I want to share with you that Jesus comes as he came to the disciples. If necessary, walking on the water, doing the impossible to meet us in our particular need at the particular time that we really need Jesus. Then there's a a passage of scripture that talks about the crowd that was left back on the far side of the lake and they come and eventually catch up with Jesus in Capernaum after much searching. And then we come to this tremendous passage of scripture in John chapter 6 and verses 25 and following. Reading verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's interesting that Jesus didn't get into the details of, yeah, I walked on the water across the lake, because that, I believe, would have heightened that messianic ruler, Roman conqueror idea. Here's Jesus. He can give us bread for every day. And when we go against the Romans... (laughs) He can even walk on water and take us through the lake and take us through storms. And I I think it would have distracted the crowd and caused them to follow Jesus for all the wrong reasons. But Jesus completely ignores the explanation of how he managed to get across the lake. And he goes into this exposition. He ignores their question completely. Jesus answered. I don't know whether in reading scripture you find this quite often. People ask questions. But Jesus knows the heart of the person who's questioning. And so Jesus takes a complete tangent. In verse 26 he says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And I'm not sure of what the body language was at that point, but I suspect it was that the Son of Man comes to give you, which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And once again they try and divert Jesus from where he's headed in his conversation with them. They said, what must we do to do the works God requires? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And I would suggest the body language would also have been to believe in the one God has sent, referring to himself of course. But again they're still on that point of Old Testament thinking. What miraculous sign, you see the thinking of the prophet that was prophesied in the Old Testament what miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And then they go into this conversation about the manna. Jesus, you fed us for one day. But Moses fed us for 38 years. So what are you going to show us? And of course that wasn't the point uh, at this particular time. Verse 32, Jesus continues, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again they respond, Sir, they said, Rabbi, From now on, give us this bread. And then we go into the rest of the chapter with some rather amazing statements by the Lord Jesus. If you go through your Bible over up to verse 71, the second half of this chapter, and underline uh, the statements of Jesus about him being the bread of life, there are many, many. Verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks down to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
It almost seems in this passage here that Jesus is digging himself deeper and deeper into uh, their wrong view of theology in a sense. And Jesus is constantly going deeper and deeper in conveying to them just who he is. Just reading some of the uh, highlights from this chapter. Uh, John chapter 6 and uh, 27. Do not do the work for the food which perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. And then 32. Then Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who had given you the bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. And again as we just read in verse 35, Jesus declared to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Down to 48. I am the bread of life. 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 52. The Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so rather than softening the analogy so to be less offensive, Jesus goes on to make it even more offensive. He changes the bread analogy to his flesh and in a statement would have grossed them out just grossed out about every Jew that was in that synagogue when he added that they need not only eat his flesh but to drink his blood. I wonder how many left at that particular point. And so ending up with these scripture reference references. John 6.53 So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Jesus again points out the fact that their ancestors ate the manna and died 
but whoever feeds on this bread that he is offering them will live forever. I believe the lesson in this is feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for eternal life, for daily sustenance and for both daily and eternal satisfaction. This is an eternal life or death matter. Jesus says, if you eat of me, you will not die. And of course Jesus is speaking about life beyond physical death. Each one of us, unless the Lord comes back sooner, each one of us will die physically. But what Jesus is talking about is that eternal life that we possess as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for eternal life. And of course this is where a great controversy comes in. Some interpreters believe that these verses refer to partaking of the Lord's Supper or communion. And there are whole denominations uh, that teach that and believe that that the communion elements actually become the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. But I believe that, um, or I agree with A.W. Pink on this, uh, this particular portion of scripture. A.W. Pink says, there are four reasons that John 6 does not refer to communion. First of all, communion had not yet been instituted. Jesus instituted the communion celebration, remembrance on the night he was betrayed. And secondly, in this particular context, Jesus was mainly speaking to people who were certainly not believers in a Christ-centred and Old Testament-centred Messiah who would deliver people from their sin and so he's speaking to a group of unbelievers and communion is for believers and third the eating is for salvation or eternal life while eating the Lord's Supper it is for those who have already been saved and points to that fellowship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. And fourthly, the Lord's Supper does not produce the results that here are attributed to eating and drinking Jesus. If Jesus' words refer to communion, then you gain eternal life, get this, by partaking, which contradicts and many other scriptures that talks about salvation being purely by faith in the Lord Jesus. So it's not going through a ritual that brings us to that place of real faith, of true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the main problem is that interpreters in, uh, take these words as um, actual words that whereas in many cases the Lord Jesus Christ gives figures of speech 
he said, this is my body. In another place he said, I am the true vine. So does that mean every time we walk past a grapevine we think of Jesus? Well, we can think of Jesus, but we don't believe it is Jesus. I am the door. So does that mean every door is Jesus? No. And so there are many figures of speech through Scripture that are indeed symbolism of just who Jesus is. Remember it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves, not of yourselves or from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. And so taking the Lord's uh, body as a communion symbol would in actual fact be an act of works. I believe that eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood here refers to believing in and appropriating for ourselves personally his death on the cross as our only hope of salvation. I mentioned before that this uh, was particularly at Passover time and I believe in what Jesus was saying there are many references to that Passover lamb that was shed back in Old Testament times and Jesus was saying I am the Passover lamb I am giving myself for you for the life of the people that the Father has given me Remember in the the shedding of that Passover lamb, the lamb was was killed, was slaughtered and then its blood was put on the doorposts and then the people ate the flesh that was part of that lamb that was uh, was killed. And so there are many parallels uh, with what Jesus was saying at this particular point. I want to move on to my final point here where Jesus says that feeding on Jesus by faith is necessary for daily spiritual sustenance. 6.56 again, Jesus states, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And here Jesus is mentioning that intimate union that takes place between him and the one who feeds on him in faith. He will explain that later with more detail in John chapter 15. Uh, by the way, the Greek word for eats in this particular case is a present participle, looking at an ongoing close relationship between Jesus and the one who feeds on him. When you eat food, it literally becomes a part of you. And I think that figure could be brought into this situation. When you feed on Jesus by faith daily, you become more like him and you enjoy a close relationship 
with him. And so the implication here must be that we must often feed daily on him. None of us goes without a meal on an extended period of time at all. Uh, I've just read that story of, uh, read a story of a prisoner and a prisoner, a Japanese prisoner of war camp and they were lucky to get a cup of rice or some mouldy bread on a daily portion and some water and they came out of that experience uh, emaciated, weak and vulnerable to disease and many of those people went back to their own, own countries and some of us will remember our fathers and grandfathers who came out of that experience and so not having that daily Sustenance uh, does our body in, if you like. And so I ask the question, do you feed your soul on Christ every day? You might say, well, I try and uh, manage with the daily bread or the word for the day, if I can, if I've got time. But I believe to be feeding on Christ is far more than that. We need to have a diet of feeding on Christ systematically. By the way, as you look at word for the day, there's the initial verse and commentary on that verse or thoughts on that verse. But look down the bottom where it says soul food. And I love that expression. I suggest to you that if you're only using daily bread, that you go to the soul food and start to systematically read scripture so that it becomes part of you. It's very helpful to read, eat regularly, as I said before. It may require sacrifice. Carling will tell you I'm not a morning person. So it's hard for me. But I realise, I recognise the fact that we need to set our alarm half an hour earlier than is necessary to just get out the door and to spend that time together and individually reading the Word of God and meditating on it and praying and joining with the Lord. Just as we need physical food, we must have that spiritual food to feed on Christ. John Calvin of the 15th century, or the 1500s, wrote, How few are there who are satisfied with Christ alone? So how about you? Are you satisfied with Christ alone? Do you feed on his death for you as your only hope of eternal life? Do you feed on him daily? In his word is nourishment, vital nourishment for your soul. Do you enjoy all that he has and is for you, both now and for eternity? If not, the answer is fairly simple. Change your diet. As we finish this morning, 
I read from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, which I read in my quiet time this, this week, my worship time. Search me and make this a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Or as it says in the easy read version, which I'm using quite a bit as we work with students, God, examine me and know my mind. Test me and know all my worries. Make sure that I am not going the wrong way. Lead me on the path that has always been right. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and the exposition of his word this morning.